Where do you go? The address. 66 Harborview Road. Hello, hello, and welcome back to 66 Harborview Road, a podcast dedicated to ABC's General Hospital. I'm your host, Caitlin, and if you saw my social media this past week, you know that I have a new addition, a chihuahua named Mildred. We are thrilled here in the Quartermain foyer, and of course, Mildred loves to keep up with the patrons of Port Charles. We had lots of high emotions this week, so let's dive right into it. Cameron Weber. As if he hasn't been through enough, Jocelyn's crying, Dex is trying to say, hey man, and then Cameron just flips out. Dex then leaves, asking Joss to call him after she talks to Cam. So Cameron begins to tell Jocelyn he heard about Willow, and he remembered what Joss said about them always being friends, so he wanted to check on her. Little did he know was the door going to open with her and Dex scantily clad. He asked her if they had gotten together before the breakup, and she didn't say anything, but her face said it all. They're arguing back and forth, and what he feels right now is worse than the actual breakup. I believe him. And then the conversation takes a turn. Jocelyn asks him to keep her and Dex a secret because of Sunny. What? How can you expect that? She's relying on Cameron being a good person, which he is, and he said that to her. She says, thank you for keeping the secret, and he says, don't thank me. I'm a better person than you are. You don't need to thank me for that. I felt it. I felt it every which way. I mean, oh, it was horrible. Poor Mildred was shielding her eyes. And when Dex ran off, he ran straight to Sonny's, where Spencer was telling Sonny, living with you is not a good look in court. Sonny then proceeds to ask, well, what are you talking about? And when Spencer tries to say he wants custody of a baby, I mean, everyone's telling him this is not a good idea. Whatever you're thinking is going to happen is not going to happen. And when Dex walked in, Spencer says, Aaron boy, go somewhere else while we have a family discussion. (laughs) I thought that was great. And I thought that was also a really good homage to like the different names that law enforcement would give to Jason, like anger boy and silent boy or, you know, whatever. So I thought that was very fitting. Spencer leaves and Dex talks to Sonny about Jocelyn, but not in the way I thought to which my stomach was dropping, but he tells Sonny about the hook attack and how him and Jocelyn were there, and what they discussed with Britt. Sonny understands, but he says, wait a second, why are you just telling me this now? And Carly knew before me. I don't like that. So Dex says that he understands, and he will continue to prove himself to Sonny, and when he leaves, Sonny calls someone, I'm assuming Brick, but who knows, uh, that he wants to check up on Dex. He wants more information. I think Sonny knows that there's more going on between him and Jocelyn, but if Sonny finds out that Michael hired him, this is going to get crazy. And when Cameron left Jocelyn's dorm room, he goes back to Kelly's, and Liz and Laura are there, and he ends up telling them that him and Joss broke up, and he's fine, but Laura and Liz both know he's not fine. As Laura leaves Kelly's, she runs into Trina and Spencer, and she says Cameron really needs some friends right now. And I did not realize this until the scene happened, but Trina had no idea what was going on. I was just as shocked as she was. I'm sure she's going to have words with Jocelyn. Like, Joss is living this whole other secret life and not telling her best friend about it. 
She is telling her mom all about it, but not her best friend, roommate. I mean, these girls go way back. Spencer and Trina then talk about Brit's memorial. Trina decides she's going to go with Spencer, and I thought that was very cute. And then Spencer tells her about the plan to get Esme's baby. Trina, of course, does not agree. She explains how it would impact his life, but he's not backing down. And somehow that led him into asking if there's more between them, and that's why she has these strong opinions. Trina does admit that they are friends now and that they care about each other, and Spencer claims he's ready to stick to his word, and he feels the same way. Back at the dorms, Jocelyn called Carly and tells her that she lost Cameron as a friend. She continues to tell Carly how Dex came to her dorm room, Cameron showed up, and Carly tells Jocelyn that she met Jason around this age, and that caused a lot of ups and downs in Carly's life. So Jocelyn has a difficult road ahead. Joss agrees to include her mom if anything goes wrong, because, I mean, obviously you can trust Carly with mob stuff. (laughs) And she asks if Carly still misses Jason. I am curious why we're getting a bunch of Jason mentions. Are we recasting? Is he going to come back? But at the tail end of the question, Jocelyn says, oh, but Drew makes everything better, right? Great moment between mother and daughter. I mean, these girls are going to be thick as thieves. A mother-daughter who are not getting any closer are Carolyn and Elizabeth. Liz tries to leave her mom at Kelly's, but ends up sitting down with her anyway, asking the real question on everyone's minds for the past, what, 40 years? Why stay married to Jeff? Carolyn's excuse is that she loves him. I don't buy it. This man continually disrespects you, disrespects family. I mean, does Carolyn even know about Hayden Barnes? Like, can we confirm that? And across the harbor over on Spoon Island, Nicholas gets his divorce papers and he invited Laura over. Nicholas has to tell her that he is giving up Windermere and Laura then tells him that Esme is at Spring Ridge. She also said most likely Esme will still be convicted of filming and distributing the sex tape of Cam and Joss. Even if they can't pin her for the hook murders, they can still pin her for that. So I don't necessarily understand the whole Esme doesn't remember anything. Like, where is that going? And shortly after that, Laura gets a call from Elizabeth inviting her to Kelly's. And she tells Laura that Carolyn apparently came here to consult on a patient, but she doesn't really believe her. Laura then tells Liz Nicholas wants Laura's support to gain custody of Esme's baby. (laughs) So rich, like I can't, no pun intended. And I guess Laura didn't see Carolyn as they passed each other on the launch because Carolyn went to Windermere. Apparently, Nicholas called her and wants her to psychoanalyze Esme and like use her hypnotic powers to brainwash her. First of all, Nicholas, how would this help Liz? just keeping her from being charged with aiding and abetting Esme's imprisonment. I'm sure Scott could make a good argument that Nicholas was helping his child and Elizabeth, being a nurse, couldn't turn away caring for a young pregnant woman. Only Esme can say it was against her will, but then she would have to admit how long she was in Port Charles and how can she account for those whereabouts. Once again, Nicholas is not thinking long-term. Meanwhile, Esme is getting shaken up by a fellow prisoner in Spring Ridge when Heather comes along and holds a shiv to them. This helps Esme warm up to Heather. I think Heather is acting a little too erratic to try to get to know Esme. 
I don't think Heather knows how to be gentle, <laughs> but I think even for Heather, like she's being a bit overbearing, but she's really trying. And as evil as Heather is, it's insane to see her as a mother caring about her daughter, just in her own twisted way. They both end up getting visitors because Dante and Sam need to go talk to both Heather and Esme. Dante wants to see if Heather has information about Ryan Chamberlain, and Sam wants to ask Esme if the name Maggie triggers anything. Sam believes that if she finds the babysitter, that could be the key to something. Unfortunately, Heather does not have that much information about Ryan Chamberlain, and Dante says, hey, this was the deal. You give us information and you get to stay here. So Heather's going to have to come up with something or she's going to have to throw Ryan under the bus. I, I don't know, but it's going to be great. Sam also mentions to Esme that she had several letters in her possession from this Maggie person. And Esme asks to see the letters, but Sam says, nobody has them. We assume you did when you fled Port Charles the first time. Leading to Sam and Dante going to England together to find Maggie. Later that evening, Sam meets Maxie at the Savoy and tells her all about her and Dante's plans to go to England, and Maxie thinks that this is super romantic. I think by now everyone knows how I feel about Sante. I don't like it, never have, not even in that flashback where everyone was excited about them to begin with. I, I just think it's icky all around. I, I just can't get over that Sam was once with Sonny and Rick both related to Dante. It's just too much for me. But a couple I wouldn't mind seeing would be Ava and Austin. Ava goes to Austin's office to get a referral and sees him with Mason. Ava puts together that Mason was at the Quartermain picnic and they have like a threatening back and forth and Austin is pleased with Ava. He's glad that Ava can stand up for herself but then tells her not to do it again. <laughs> Austin then tells Ava a little bit about Jamie Lee Holt, which excited me because that never came back around. Are we going to make Austin a quartermain, or is he going to always be this outlier? Afterwards, Ava goes to the Metro Court for a martini. Nicholas walks up with the signed divorce papers and asks if she will hear him one more time. Ava looks at him straight in the soul and says, I don't owe you anything, which is true. Nicholas was the one to mess up this whole relationship slash arrangement or whatever they were doing. He was the one who really messed it up. But Ava all alone in Windermere? I don't understand. I mean, sure, it's a castle. You're on your own island. But also, there's those underground tunnels where random Cassidines could just come through the walls. And again, you're all alone. Is Ava going to have anybody live with her? Back on the mainland at the Harborview Road property, Drew and Wiley are arm wrestling. Drew reminisces about his time in Florida with Carly. There's a knock on the door, and no, it's not Annabelle, and nope, not Mildred, <laughs> but it's Olivia. Olivia came down to invite Wiley over for a slumber party at the main house, and as he's gathering his things, Drew and Olivia talk about how Carly kept information from him and actively sabotaged his search for Willow's birth family. Olivia then asks if there is a chance their relationship will survive this. She's pulling really hard for them to work out, but Drew's like, none of this is okay with me. <laughs> so Olivia takes Wiley to the main house, and when Drew goes to leave, Carly is at the door. 
By the way, that coat Carly was wearing, gorgeous. It looked so good on her. Just a little side note. So Carly wants Drew to give her another chance, and he says to her, sorry, but I have limits. I can't do this again. So she starts to walk away, as I would have. That, to me, sounded like things were over. But then turns around and says he wants a future with her, and she's willing to try. They seal it with a kiss, and she asks him to come home with her. And then that led me to think, wait, now that we know Drew has Jason's memories and his own, isn't it weird dating Carly because Jason's still kind of there? Across town, Sona is trying to stay distracted until they get the results back. Sasha stops by and was it me or was Sunny wearing a deep purple colored jacket? I thought it was kind of cool. Anyways, as Sasha comforts Nina, I realize that all of Silas Clay's children are either dead or dying. Are we trying to erase that family tree? Are we trying to pretend like Silas Clay did not exist? Sunny then overhears Nina say that Carly and Michael are hell-bent on hurting her and Sunny. And the look on Sunny's face was like, no, I, I don't think you're correct in that statement. <laughs> So Sunny walked in and said, well, you know, Willow asked me to make amends with Michael no matter what it took. And Sasha goes, see, Nina, if Willow wants Michael and Sunny to reconcile, there's hope for you and Willow. Poor Sasha. She's trying to be so positive, and this is the least positive situation. Over at GH, Milo is reading a Crimson magazine, and they talk about being scared for Willow's future. Brooklyn comes to GH to visit and runs into Ned on the elevator looking for Michael. When they both get to the room, Ned takes Michael aside and says no matter what happens in business, they are first and always family. Back in the room, Willow is distracting herself by asking BLQ about her relationship status. They share a very cute friendship moment and then BLQ leaves. Then more heartbreak. Nina enters the room and Willow is just kind of like, okay, and like very matter of fact. But Nina is not a match. Willow turns away and cries, and Nina just doesn't know what to do. She can't do anything. She can't make her bone marrow match. Meanwhile, Sunny, Sasha, Ned, Brooklyn, and Michael are all in the hallway, just completely devastated that Nina's not a match. Sasha and BLQ cry together, but then share a weird moment about Chase. Like I said before, not the love triangle I was expecting, but it's interesting. So what are Willow's options? I thought, are they going to call Liesel? I mean, the end of that family line is Maxie's son, James, until James has a child. So Willow really is running out of options. She leans on Michael to cry, and Nina is screaming in the parking lot as she tells Sonny she can't survive losing another child. Terry entered Willow's room with another option that would take placenta or umbilical cord fluid and turn that into the stem cells that she needs. But Willow puts this down quick. Michael wants to hear more about it, but Willow's like, I'm not putting my baby at risk. My question then would be, if you expire, for a better word, before your child is born, does that hurt the child? That might be a little bit morbid, but that is something I thought about in that moment when Willow said, no, I'm not delivering early. But the other problem with this plan is that Terry said, okay, let's give it a shot. 
Terry, <laughs> once you deliver a baby, it can't go back. You, you can't just take a shot at this. It's almost like a one and done shot. Like it, you, it either is successful or it's not. Just then, Carly brings Wiley into the room and everyone's spirits brighten. Michael tells Carly that Willow doesn't want to induce labor, but when they re-enter the room, Wiley says, hey baby, time to come out now. And Willow looks up and says, you know, Wiley is right. Let's do it. When Carly exits the room, she sees Drew in the GH halls and gives him the seemingly good news. I haven't heard any news about Willow leaving the show, so I'm assuming that all of this is going to be a success, and maybe the bigger story is how Willow and Nina can mend their relationship. Parent and child relationships can be very difficult to navigate, and nobody knows that better than the Cassidines. As Laura takes Charlotte to the Metro Court for dinner, they round the corner and run into Victor. But this Charlotte, she is smarter than before. I mean, I know they aged her, but she is not falling for Victor's BS. They meet with Uncle Martin, and Laura assures him that Valentine and Lucy will be home as soon as they can. Laura then goes around the corner to Victor and says, stay away from Charlotte. And he alludes that Charlotte should be nice if she wants to see her father. All the while, Anna and Valentine are in the catacombs in Paris with a mystery lady friend of Val's, but she's already dished them up to Victor. So is she leading them to a trap? They do end up finding Lucy, and boy, I've missed her. Uh, unfortunately, this French gal pal turned them into Victor, so she calls for the goons to show up. They put Victor on speakerphone, and he gives orders to take Valentine and Lucy and get rid of Anna. He also told Valentine he will always be his son. But when they hang up the phone, nobody realized that Anna was preparing to flood the tunnels for an escape route. After the tunnels flood and the three musketeers escape, Anna tells Lucy that they have to play dead for a while. And I'm like, what is this plan? Who are you playing dead for? Who needs to think you're dead? I, I don't get it. But by Friday, we see Laura running up to Victor at the Metro Court saying, I hope you're happy now. Valentine is dead, by the way. And as he's hearing the news, Alexis is standing right next to him as she was going to meet with Laura and ran into Victor. She was able to ask him, how are things with Nicholas? And Victor was able to tell her that he handed over Spoon Island. <laughs> So after Laura shakes Victor to his core, we see Alexis and Laura sit down together, and fortunately, Alexis already knows the truth. She was part of the plan. Laura then has to scurry off to Britt's memorial at the hospital. Alexis then checks on Victor in his favorite hallway of the Metro Court, and she is playing a good role in this. She is technically family. She's trying to check on him in a family sort of way but also perpetuating the lie that everyone's dead. Also leaving the Metro Court was Martin. He was getting on an elevator, reminiscing about Lucy and how they got started when the elevator opens and he is sternly saying, you've been dodging my calls. But then we see a hand grab him. Turns out to be Felicia and Robert bringing him to a safe house where Lucy is, and they share such a warm reunion. They're just so adorable. Lucy then asks Martin if he will be by her side through life. Oh, man, I hope these two are on the show, like, forever. In the living room of the safe house, Anna asks Robert about Holly, and Robert says, well, we probably won't hear from her until she gets to Ethan. Then Anna asks about the ice princess diamonds that were in that necklace, 
And Robert says, oh, Victor thinks they were lost in a fire and an explosion. And they are both really excited that they're slowly taking things away from Victor. I was still curious what their plan is until Anna said it was to extort Victor's guilt to have him admit to something. But I think that is such a risky move. I think they should find out what other pieces of the puzzle that Victor needs to complete his plan and start tearing those columns down, having no support for whatever Victor is planning. And one of the last storylines I want to mention is we see Mac and Felicia walk into the Savoy and Mac is irritated that he sees Cody with Selena. Felicia tells him that he is a good man with a good heart when it comes to guiding young people. And she gives a little brief overview, which I thought was nice. Cody comes up to them and they share a nice conversation about Brit and Felicia asks if Cody is coming to the memorial service at the hospital. Across the room, Cody spots Gladys having a drink, and Selena walks right over to her and says, hey, you owe me $175,000. Gladys's answer to this, sell Brando's garage for that amount? I am pretty sure that garage is worth more than $175,000. Cody happens to see them talking, and he puts it all together. This is the same Gladys that Sasha was talking about back at the Q Mansion a few days ago. He confirms this when G-Lady runs out of there and Selena says that she's involved with deception. So even though earlier I mentioned a love triangle with Sasha, Brooklyn, and Chase, could there be something between Sasha and Cody? Will he be the one to get her out of trouble when Gladys has really dug herself into the hole? And the last thing I want to mention is Ava and Nina still living together. Um, It's the next day, and Ava is looking over her divorce papers. Nina is getting ready for Britt's memorial. Ava asks how Nina's doing, and Nina starts blaming Carly for everything right away, declaring she's going to make Carly pay, and Ava tries to put things into perspective. Nina goes on to say if her bone marrow could have saved Willow, there would be a better chance of a reconciliation. It's hard for me to feel bad for Nina, but I do feel bad for her only in the sense that she wanted to donate bone marrow and couldn't. That's all I'm feeling sorry for. (laughs) I don't think, you know, Carly keeping the fact that Nell was Nina's daughter after Nell was dead, I don't think that is a big deal. I have always been the person to say it's not Carly's place to tell anyone who anyone's mother, daughter, dad, father, whatever. It's not Carly's place to say anything, whether she knows the information or not. Only in this medical emergency did Carly think, oh wow, now I have to tell people. I don't blame her. Maybe I'm a huge Carly fan. I don't know. I never thought of myself as one, (laughs) but maybe I am. But when Nina leaves, Ava makes a phone call. So reckless, I was clapping. She makes a call to Demetrius saying that Nicholas is to be gone by the end of the day. Oh, I just thought that was great. I'm really curious where Nicholas is going to be living. I mean, I know the Metro Court tends to house everyone who doesn't have their own place in Port Charles, but please, can we get Nicholas like above Kelly's or something? (laughs) At this point, I feel like that's what he deserves. (laughs) And that was our week in Port Charles. You can find me on Instagram at 66 Harborview Road. Twitter at 66 underscore view, 
and TikTok at 66 underscore Harborview Road. From the Quartermain Foyer, I bid you a great week.